this isn't brain surgery with Doc Snipes. This podcast was created to provide you the information and tools Doc Snipes gives her clients so that you too can start living happier. Our website, DocSnipes.com, has even more resources, videos, and handouts, and even interactive sessions with Doc Snipes to help you apply what you learn. Go to DocSnipes.com to learn more. Good morning, and welcome to Happiness Isn't Brain Surgery with Doc Snipes, practical tools to improve your mood and quality of life. Today, we're going to be talking about developing momentum in the change process. Sometimes when we start to change, it kind of lags out a little bit, and then we end up forgetting our goals. Other times, it's hard to even get started. So we're going to look at some of the reasons that this might be and what you can do in order to develop and maintain momentum in your change process. It's important, and I'll say this at the beginning, to recognize that every change is going to have some plateaus. That's when your body and your brain are just kind of solidifying everything. But if your plateau goes more than a week or two, then you might want to look at what's going on if you've lost some momentum, if you've lost some movement. And we're going to talk about thinking about a train or a car going uphill. And that's what change is. Change takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of energy to change. And if you start losing momentum, it gets harder and harder to go up that hill. So we're going to talk about how to avoid some of those problems. We'll describe the ideal momentum in the change process, examine causes of stuckness, review the phases of readiness for change and appropriate ways to increase readiness, and explore issues that may lead to stuckness and some interventions. So think of a time that you've tried to change. What causes you to get stuck? What causes you to kind of stall out in the change process? You know, most of us have made New Year's resolutions. So think about New Year's resolutions that you've made and you've done really well for a week or two or maybe even a month. And then it started to peter out. And by the time you got around to March, you weren't even trying anymore. What does stuckness look like for you? And depending on your your goals, depending on what you're doing, it may mean a return to old behaviors, or maybe you were trying to learn something completely new, and you get started, and you get to a certain point, and every time you try to change, you just get to a certain point, and then you quit. You don't finish anything. And what do you do to keep your momentum going when you start going, you know what, I don't know if I really want to do that. How do you keep it going? For example, one of my hobbies is crocheting. And if I don't have that in front of me, if I don't have the visual cue of my crochet basket, I'm probably going to pick up six other things to do instead of working on my crocheting a little bit every night. So what can you do to keep your momentum going? If you're trying to start going to the gym, maybe you can keep your gym bag um, in front of the door. So you have to pick it up and walk out of the door with it. Another thing for me with the gym, and I'll just tell you this at the outset, um, if I plan to work out in the afternoon, which is when my energy is normally low anyway, so it's not the best time, but if I come home with the intention of changing and going to the gym, I never make it back out the door. So I know that for my momentum, if I'm going to work out in the afternoon, I need to bring my gym stuff with me. So these are the things that you want to think about. What is keeping you from keeping the course. So stuckness versus a plateau. You want to, like I said, expect to experience plateaus um, and gains are going to seem to stall a little bit. This is when you're solidifying things. Think about when kids are growing up. They go through a growth spurt and then they stall out for a while while everything catches up. They get a little bit more coordinated. They, you know, whatever happens depending on their growth spurt. With my kids, when they were 
learning. I would notice that they would uh, do really well in either math or English type subjects. You know, it was either right brain or left brain. And the other subject would either stall out or even maybe backslide a little bit while they were making gains in the opposite subject. And then it would switch. You know, they'd be doing really well in English all of a sudden and their math skills would suddenly hiccup. Um, but it all would catch up in the end. So the brain was kind of giving energy, if you will, to what they were working on at that point in time and then backing off so everything could kind of solidify. Think about if you're building a brick wall. You know, you put the mortar down and it's kind of wet and you build up all these layers of bricks and then you let it set for a little while before you continue to put additional layers of bricks on, which might cause it to topple over if it gets too tall. A a plateau lasting more than about a month in which you've not reached maximal gains should be explored. And maximal gains means you've reached your goal. You are happy as you define it. You are going to the gym five days a week if that was your goal. Um, You have reached your, your goal weight. You've stopped smoking. Whatever it is, you have achieved that goal. If you haven't achieved that goal, then you're at a plateau. And if it lasts more than about a month, some people get impatient at the two-week mark. Then you want to start exploring kind of what's going on, what changed, and maybe you need to adapt a little. Is something else going on and you don't have the energy or resources to devote to change right now? So maybe you were, you know, starting to learn a new hobby and gardening is another one of my hobbies and it takes a lot of time um, because I organically garden so there's no pesticides, there's lots of weeding. Um, And I will get my garden going and then something will come up at work or with the family and I won't have as much time to devote to it. So my gardening will seem to stall out for a little while. And that's because I've chosen to divert my resources to this other stuff. I don't have the time to devote it. Now, if it's your change goal is something that's really important to you, like lowering your cholesterol or dealing with your depression or your anxiety, then you need to think about, you know, Why are you prioritizing these other things over your own happiness? And Covey refers to this, you know, kind of tangentially, as sharpening the saw. You need to be 100%. You need to be your best you. You need to be sharp in order to function effectively. Um, So if you are neglecting tending to your own depression or anxiety, then everything else is probably going to get neglected a little bit too. It's not going to be the product that you would hope it would be. So look and see, is something else going on? You may need to back off a little bit. You know, some people go into um, substance abuse treatment, for example, and they go into residential. And residential is 24-7 for 30 days. And, you know, people are thinking about recovery. They're working on recovery. They're doing activities. That is all they've got to do. Um, And then when they get out, you know, obviously they've got life to deal with. Something else comes on and they can't keep doing treatment stuff four, five, eight hours a day. They have to back it off a little bit. It doesn't mean that they're stopping. It means that they've had to choose, you know, look at what makes a rich and meaningful life for them, and they've chosen to divide their energy, and they've got to slow down a little bit. Um, Now, if you're in once-a-week counseling or if you're making a small change, you know, look at what's going on. Um, If you're trying to get in shape, and most of us have tried to go to the gym and get in shape, so you can relate to this, um, you know, you... 
maybe you can't devote two hours a day to lifting weights and running to get ready for the next Ironman. Maybe you've got to back off and you can only go to the gym three days a week because you have other priorities. You need to look and say, is that adequate progress? And, you know, sometimes it may be yes. And if the answer is no, then you need to figure out what do you need to cut from the rest of your priorities so you have more time to train for that Ironman. The other reason that you may be stuck is you've just lost steam. There were no rewards. You know, when you're going to the gym, you're going to the gym, you're working out, you may see some improvements in your cardiovascular fitness or something, but you haven't dropped a dress size or a pant size. Um, or you haven't, um, when you go home, you know, you're tired and you get up the next morning and you're sore and you're like, why am I doing this again? And it can kind of suck the steam right out of it. So you need to look at why did you want to do it in the first place? What rewards are you getting for it? And how can you put rewards in place so it keeps you going? For example, going to the gym with a friend. You know, it's still going to the gym, but it's a little more fun. Um, and then looking at uh, what else you can do to reward that behavior to get your energy, get your motivation back. Ask yourself if your goals or objectives need to be changed. You know, maybe training for an Ironman Iron Man that's in three, three months is a little bit too over the top because you just don't have the time to do it. Just like when I work with people who are recovering with depression or anxiety, um, you know, if I'm seeing them once or twice a week, then their progress is going to be slower than somebody that I'm seeing five days a week in group for intensive outpatient. But you know, the people that I'm seeing in intensive outpatient have made that goal that they want to or they need to have significant improvement in 90 days. The people who are coming once or twice a week um, are going to change at a slower pace, but it doesn't impact the rest of their life near as much. So you want to look at, do you need to kind of change what your goals are? If you're going to the gym to lose weight, you know, we know muscle weighs more than fat and yada, yada, yada. But is losing weight the appropriate goal or is getting in better health going to be a more rewarding and more stable goal? And most of you are going, uh, yeah, losing weight. That's why I go to the gym so I can eat more. Um, and for me, that is one of the big reasons I go to the gym. I don't, I won't argue with that. Um, but look at your goals and objectives and see if you're trying to reach a goal that's unattainable. Causes of stuckness, competing priorities, like we just talked about. If you've got, um, maybe it's football season and your kid's on the football team, so you have to drive him to football practice every single day or pick him up, and then you've got football games to go to, and those away games are really long drives. That takes a lot of time. Plus, you've got housework to do. You know, it doesn't matter if you're a mom or a dad, um, and, and you've got work that you've got to go to and then you've got the yard that needs to be tended and you know all these things start piling up and you've got all these priorities and sometimes recovery or change seems to just kind of fall to the backside so again you want to look at that change goal and say if i let go of this goal for right now so i can focus on the other stuff is it going to negatively impact how well i can enjoy everything else that's going on in my life? Is it going to negatively impact other things? If you are clinically depressed and you stop working on that so you can focus on the, all the other stuff, then you're probably going to be going to those football games 
in sort of a fog and barely making it, you're probably going to not have joy in other things. You're probably going to be communicating this aura of Ugh, when you're doing things, if you can even get out of bed. And it, can it may make your depression worse because you keep pushing yourself and you're not feeling good and it just feels like you are never going to ever feel good again. So you start to feel hopeless and helpless. Um, so my point is sometimes you have a lot of other stuff that's really important, but again, you got to sharpen that saw. If you are not healthy, then you are probably not going to be able to fulfill those priorities as, as effectively. You also may not be motivated to abandon the old behaviors. I mean, think about it. Whatever you're doing has a benefit. And we'll stay with the gym for right now. I don't want to pick on smokers all the time. Um, when you go to the gym, that's hard work. You get sweaty. It, it uses a lot of energy. And a lot of times you're sore the next day. Now, some of us look at that, look at that and we see soreness as a reward. We're like, if, if you don't hurt, you didn't work. Um, and that's not necessarily the best attitude. But sitting on the couch watching TV after work, is certainly a whole lot more rewarding after you've had a long, hard many cases than going to the gym for a lot of people. So you want to look at what's your motivation for this new behavior and why did you engage in the old behavior? Because you know, sitting on the couch, watching TV, decompressing, that's how you relaxed. That was how you said, you know, no more input. And you were already, you already felt like you were out of energy so, you know, it's a lot more rewarding when you're out of energy to not move. Um, and so, you know, maybe if you want to start getting, uh, start, start getting in shape and working out, you need to start working out in the morning before your energy is really low. But look at the reasons. What is calling you away from your new goals? What things do you do? Wrong or incomplete problem or cause identification. Um, and, you know, We'll, we'll stick with using, um, with going to the gym and losing weight. Sometimes people go to the gym and lose weight because they think, if I lose 30 pounds, then my spouse will love me again. If I lose 30 pounds, maybe my relationship will be better. You know, it may help a little bit because you feel better about yourself and, you know, there may be some dynamics there, but if a relationship is on the rocks, it's likely for a lot of reasons besides just weight gain. Um, so you want to look at what am I hoping to get out of this and is it realistic that I'm, I'm going to achieve this goal? Um, goals are too broad, poorly defined, or complicated. If you say, I want to be happy, well, that's wonderful. That's awesome. But how do you know when you're happy? You got to define it. What does it look like in counseling when we write treatment plans we say i want to be happy as evidenced by that way any person coming off the street any of your friends could look at you and go you know what i see this i see this you're laughing more you're not crying you're getting out of bed you're coming out with us on saturdays it seems like you've met your goal and you're happier there are objective observable things so you want to define those so you know what you're doing and not make it too complicated Keep it simple. You know, if you want to try to make changes, you don't need to do 17 things at once. Do one. You know, make one small change, get that integrated into your lifestyle, and then make another small change. Um, when people, for example, start trying to eat more healthfully, a lot of times they just abandon the way they were eating and go 
completely the other end of the spectrum and start eating a completely different way, which is very complicated if they're trying to track macronutrients and micronutrients and follow a specific diet. And it can be very complicated and overwhelming and they spend more time trying to figure out if they're doing it right. Instead, ease into it. And it, your body will generally like you better for it too, unless you have a medical issue that's causing you to, to, to change your nutrition. Start drinking more water, for example. And then maybe cut out wheat if you think you're gluten intolerant. And then maybe cut out high fructose corn syrup and simple sugars. Once a week or once every two weeks, make another small change that you can accomplish that's not complicated. That way you're not just completely overwhelmed with trying to make this change. If you don't feel heard or understood by your supports, the people who are supposed to cheer you on, um, and you'll notice this because when they make suggestions, you'll yes but them. Um, but if you don't feel like you're getting the support you need to make the changes, maybe you're trying to eat healthfully and your roommate keeps bringing junk food into the house. You know, there's cookies and potato chips and ice cream just everywhere. And you're just like, oh my gosh, I want to eat that. Um, you know, that can cause you to get stuck because you've got those temptations right there and you don't have somebody else going, you can do this. You can get through it. You don't have to give in. You may get stuck because you don't understand the importance of daily practice or the connection to recovery. Mindfulness is a perfect example. When I have people start doing mindfulness, it's important for them to understand what the point is. You know, why am I sitting there asking myself three times a day what I need, how I feel? Well, so you can figure out what you need and how you feel and how to meet those needs instead of being on autopilot. Because a lot of times we function on autopilot and we suppress our needs, which leads us to feeling stressed out, depressed, unheard, unloved, whatever. Um, but it's important you understand why these things are important. If you're going to um, start working out, for example, why is it important that you do weight-bearing exercises um, and, and resistance-type exercises in addition to cardio. Um, and not everybody does those. But for a full, if you're trying to get in shape and in better health, it's important to do both. So you want to understand why it's important to strengthen the muscles in addition to just doing cardio. Don't, cha don't challenge yourself. Uh, through Socratic questioning to arrive at solutions retrospectively or in the present. And we're going to talk about Socratic questioning. But you really need to ask yourself, why didn't I do this? If you don't challenge yourself, if you don't ask yourself, what the heck happened, then you're not going to be able to learn from your plateaus. You notice I stopped short of calling it a failure. You can call it a plateau. You can call it a slip. You can call it a relapse, whatever you want to call it. But when you hit that place, you want to ask yourself, what can I learn from this instead of going, oh, crap. Well, I'll wake up and start again tomorrow. Well, if you start doing the same thing you were doing that didn't work, guess what's going to happen? It's probably not going to work. Repeatedly doing the same thing and expecting different results is the definition of insanity. So you've also got to figure out if you're ready for change. Pre-contemplation, you're not ready. We're not going to talk about that because you're thinking about change right now. So contemplation, you're realizing you, there may be a problem. You're getting up in the morning and you're going, oh, I don't feel so good. You know, I'm kind of flat. Nothing seems to make me happy anymore. I'm just, eh. you know, maybe I'm stressed out. Maybe I'm burned out. I don't know. All right. 
at that point, you may not be ready to start making changes that are going to support your health and happiness, but you're starting to realize that you're off. You know, you're having B days more than you're having A days. Preparation is when you're trying to figure out what to do and decide if you're ready to change your behavior. You know, this has been going on for a while. You're still not feeling better. You're like, okay, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Let me think about what can I change in order to start feeling better. Now, some of you might think, well, that's treatment, isn't it? No, that's not treatment. That's thinking about treatment. Treatment or change is when you say, all right, I know what I need to do and I am ready to do it. And this is, some people think, you know, it's impossible. I've been this way for all of my life. I've tried to change before. It hasn't lasted. There's lots of negativity that comes up in your head that may keep you from trying to change, but you can do the impossible. Focus on your prior successes. You know, even if you have started going to the gym for a week or been addressed your depression and started feeling better for a day, what did you do? And build on that. Those are successes. And also figure out if you've tried to change before and it hasn't stuck or you hit a plateau and you couldn't seem to go further, ask yourself, what was going on? What happened? What needs to be different this time? And then maintenance is when you've reached your goal, but you have to keep doing the behaviors. And, you know, people who get depressed or anxious because they're burning the candle at both ends and they're not getting enough sleep and they're drinking too much coffee and they're just burned out, they start to feel better. And that's great. And, you know, they're doing all the right things. They've cut out the coffee. They're getting more sleep. And once they start feeling better, they go back to those old behaviors. What do you think happens? They go back to feeling depressed and burned out again. So maintenance means keeping those same behaviors that helped you start feeling good or that helped you meet your goal. And then if you want to make another change, start from there. But you've got to maintain those other new changes. When you go on a diet, a lot of people do this, and this is why I hate the word diet. You want to change your nutritional habits because it has to be a lifelong process. So when you change those habits, you need to ask yourself, is this something that I can do forever? You know, if I look at what I eat and I think, can I give up coffee forever? Now, if I had a major life health issue, sure, I could. But barring that, no. I love my coffee. I drink decaf, but I love my coffee. Same thing with chocolate. I couldn't give up chocolate to save my life. Well, to save my life, I could. Um, but there are things that I look at and I go, you know, that would not be a happy place for me if I could never have pizza again. If I could never have, you, you can hear some of my vices. Um, <laughs> So if I'm going to change my nutritional habits, I need to look at how can I integrate that into my eating pattern in a way that makes sense to help me meet my goals of being healthy. So pizza is a once a month thing for me, not a once a day like it was in college. Um, and I try to eat healthfully the rest of the time. And some people like to have chocolate. Some like to have chocolate every day. So we look at getting this... Um, fun size snack bars like you can get at, um, uh, especially at, at trick-or-treat time. So you can have a little Snickers bar instead of a 280-calorie Snickers bar. Um, so you're not 
destroying your, you're not eating too many calories. You're not destroying all the good work that you've done um, by gorging on something. And a lot of people, when they quit dieting, they, they, when they're dieting, they change their eating plan completely. And then when they are not dieting, they go back to how they were eating before. And what do you think is going to happen? You're going to put that weight back on. So again, doing the same thing and expecting different results is insane. So we need to look at how can you maintain this change lifelong? How can you integrate this change? Which again means looking at what's rewarding and simplifying so it's not too difficult to maintain. Think about a change you wanted to make that lost its momentum. What happened? And again, New Year's resolutions, huge ones to look at. Um, other times that you may be thinking about a time you went to counseling to deal with your depression, or maybe you tried to do self-help to address your depressive issues, or maybe you tried to be more patient and address your anger issues so you weren't irritable with people so much. Whatever your goal was, if it lost its momentum and you find that you're back to square one, what happened? Why were the benefits of the new behavior not rewarding enough? So if you were trying to be less irritable and you find you're back to square one, why wasn't patience and tolerance as rewarding as, you know, being angry? Um, and what are the benefits of being angry? And sometimes you may say, well, it gets things done. Okay. Well, if anger gets things done, patience and tolerance can also get things done, but we need to look at how to do that. How can you get things done and be patient and tolerant? And a lot of times that comes to effective interpersonal skills, creating win-wins, and effective communication. You also want to look at what did you miss about the old behaviors. If, you, if you're giving something up, for example, smoking, or um, maybe you decide that you're not going to eat wheat anymore because you're gluten intolerant but despite the fact that it really messes up your belly you still eat a lot of wheat so what are you what are you missing and i'm thinking of a commercial that i hear frequently on tv um it's oprah um it's a commercial for weight watchers i think and she's talking about how she loves bread and she just can't do without bread um and, and that was one of the reasons she identified for her relapses, because she was cutting out too many foods that she really loved. So how can you eat bread, for example, if you're gluten intolerant? And there are ways. There are non-gluten breads that you can get. But you want to look and really ask yourself, what happened? And if I want to do this change again, how can I keep it from happening again? If you're not totally ready for the change, you also may get stuck because change causes crisis and crisis causes change. When you start doing something different, you're upsetting the apple cart. You have this routine. You have this kind of what we call homeostasis, this balance in your life. And when you start doing something differently, it upsets your routine. You know, if you decide you're going to start practicing mindfulness before every meal, well, that disrupts your routine a little bit. So you need to make sure to schedule in, you know, two or three minutes to do that. It's not a big change, but it is something that you need to remember. It causes crisis because it can make you a little bit uncomfortable. It can get you frustrated if you forget to do it. But crisis causes change. If you get 
if you go to work on Monday and you forget to do your mindfulness activities um, before lunch and you get frustrated about it, that's a little bitty crisis, but you're probably going to be more likely to do something to remember it tomorrow so you don't keep getting frustrated with yourself. So that little bitty crisis of getting frustrated, you're like, okay, let's figure out how not to do that because there's no use wasting energy getting upset over forgetting my change goals. And you make changes. <clears throat> Examine the benefits of the old behaviors and ensure the interventions or the new behaviors meet the same need to a similar degree. If you're trying to eat healthier and, you know, cut back on chocolate, not even say give up, but cut back on chocolate, and when you feel a craving for chocolate, you eat celery, probably not going to do the trick. Now, if you eat an apple, that's something that you're chewing and it's also sweet. So that may do the trick. So there may be some fruits that you can replace for it if you're dealing with a craving. Now, you also have to remember that you may be eating for comfort. So if you're eating for comfort instead of taste, probably need to figure out a different way to address your um, stress or anxiety issues. And you also want to develop discrepancies between your current behaviors and your goals. So, for example, if you're trying to eat healthier and you find yourself stress eating on chocolate and junk food multiple times a day, you want to look and say, well, my goal is to eat healthier. This is not eating healthy. What can I do differently? So until I develop stronger coping skills and deal with the stuff that's causing the stress and anxiety, I'm not completely blowing my nutritional plan. And that can be keeping fresh fruits or you know, nuts and seeds around that you can munch on. <clears throat> Explore and address the drawbacks to the interventions. If you don't like it, you're probably not going to keep doing it. If you're going to the gym to get in shape and you're just sore as all get out, and this is what the main reason my mom used to quit going to the gym when she would try to work out, was she would start and she would go in full bore and she'd get too sore and it just wouldn't work. She'd be like, okay, that, I can't do this. I just don't see the benefit. So you want to look at why don't you like this new thing? You know, if you're eating more healthfully, maybe you are not exploring all the options. If you're just eating and you're not exploring all the different flavors and options you have, even if you are eating um, a Mediterranean diet or a vegetarian diet or something. So make sure that whatever you put in place of your old behaviors is pleasurable. And, and whatever the drawbacks are, because there are probably some, figure out how to address those. And increase the frequency and or intensity of the rewards for the new behavior. So just going to the gym and knowing that you're getting in better shape may not be enough of a reward. So what can you do? Maybe you can set aside one day on the weekend that you can just take three or four hours of me time if you go to the gym every day of the week or whatever your goals are. But increase the, the rewards so you have something to look forward to. And even when your brain goes, I don't really want to do this, the rewards are going, but I want whatever that carrot is at the end of the stick. For me, when some, some mornings I just won't want to go to the gym. I'm tired, but I know when I get out of the gym, I have more energy and my head is clearer and my day goes a lot easier. So that in and of itself is a reward. But sometimes you need to bribe yourself and that's the only way to get through the initial phase. And that's okay if that helps you get through. 
If you have the wrong, wrong problem identified, you want to examine the problem from what we call a biopsychosocial perspective. So, for example, if you're depressed, look at all the reasons that things that might be causing your depression. Now, likely there are some thoughts that are going along with it. But if you're in counseling and addressing your thoughts and you're not starting to feel better, uh, we want to also look at what other things might be triggering your depression that's keeping you from getting to your happiness place that has stuck you at this plateau. Are there physical causes such as hormone imbalances like thyroid hormones or estrogen or, or testosterone? Um, are you not getting enough sleep? That can contribute to depression. Are you dehydrated? That actually contributes to depression. Or eating a poor diet so your body can't make the um, neurochemicals that will help you feel better. Cognitively, we've talked about, you know, if, if you're not feeling um, happy, a lot of times there are negative thoughts and things that can be addressed. Um, and sometimes this comes on after the physical stuff has triggered the depression and your thoughts start turning more negative because you just feel so crappy. Um, and think about when you get sick. I mean, I tend to look at life through a more negative lens when I'm sick because I'm grumpy. Um, so when you're starting to feel depressed, you may start looking at things through a more negative lens. So addressing your thoughts can help you start feeling a little bit better, but it may not do the whole thing. Interpersonally, are there relationship issues that are causing your depression, causing you to feel hopeless and helpless? And are there environmental or situational things that are causing you to feel hopeless and helpless? And when I work with people in, in counseling, I really want them to look because most of the time, for most people, there are triggers or causes for their depression or anxiety and or addiction in every single one of these areas. So full recovery means looking at what triggers that emotion or reaction in them in every single area and addressing it one by one, you know, picking what's the most important to change or what they think they can do right now and working from there. Examine what you hope to get out of the change by asking yourself what we call the miracle question. If I woke up tomorrow and I wasn't depressed anymore, what would be different? And, you know, you want to look for a realistic outcome. If you go into treatment for depression, you're probably, hopefully, going to achieve the goal of happiness, score. If you go into treatment for depression, if you're really depressed and you want to feel better, and you're hoping that by treating your depression, your relationship is suddenly going to improve, that might not be an accurate goal. Because, again, there's probably a lot more stuff going on in the relationship than just you being depressed. If your motivation or readiness seems to wane, interventions may have been implemented too quickly or too many at once. Don't get overwhelmed and give yourself time to solidify the change. Don't make one change on Monday and another change on Wednesday. You know, if you can wait 30 days between each change, that's ideal. So start going to the gym. Get that down before you start trying to change your nutrition or vice versa. If your interventions target the wrong issue and you start doing it, and like I said, you start going to the gym to lose weight in hopes that your relationship will improve, and you're going to the gym and maybe you are losing weight, but your relationship's not improving, then you may not want to go to the gym anymore. You're like, well, screw it. What's the point? Interventions may be incomplete. 
So if you're not targeting all of the things that are causing that emotion or reaction, then you may not have a complete recovery. You may not completely achieve your goal because there are other things that are still kind of holding you back. You want to do what I call homework, and some people hate that word, so daily application if you want, um, to monitor your progress. Because just like you don't notice on a day-to-day basis that your children are growing a little bit, and then all of a sudden your in-laws come over and they're like, oh my gosh, they've grown so big. And you look at them and you're like, you know what? You are big. You're looking me in the eye now. Um, The same thing is true for your own behavior and physical changes. So Get a baseline when you start. How often are you doing this or not doing this? So if you're depressed and you're having difficulty getting out of bed and you're sleeping 17 hours a day, that's a baseline. You probably want to get that down to something closer to 9 or 10. Um, So you want to look and see, are you starting to improve where you're not falling asleep at 4 p.m. and sleeping until... 11 or I can't do the math in my head, but whatever that would be. Um, Regular use of new tools to strengthen memory connections and effectiveness is also important. So if you decide that you're going to use mindfulness or distress tolerance skills, using them once every blue moon is like me trying to use woodworking tools. You know, every time I go down to use the circular saw, I've got to remember where the switch is and, you know, it's a little bit confusing because I use it once every six months at best. So you need to use those tools every single day because the more you use those tools, the more it strengthens the memory pathways. Something that you did yesterday and the day before and the day before is going to be easier than something you haven't done in six months. So use those tools, especially when you're learning them, at least once a day every day. And prioritize doing the work to achieve your behavior change or recovery as you define it. Look at why do you want to make this change? How does prioritizing other things in life over your change help you achieve your ultimate goals? And it may, but a lot of times whatever this change you want to make is important to helping you achieve a rich and meaningful life. So you may need to divide your energy a little differently and what needs to happen so you can remember to use these tools and you know do whatever you're doing to make your change you can set alarms to remind you to do you know mindfulness activities for example or worksheets in a self-help workbook you can have scheduled um, text messages you can set those to come to yourself to remind yourself if you're trying to um, drink water more frequently. You can also set visual reminders. If you're trying to eat more healthfully, you can get the junk food out of the house um, or only keep it in one cabinet. So when you open the cabinets, you're seeing healthy foods. You can put, if you're trying to go to the gym, put your gym bag by the door. So you need to set reminders in your environment for this new behavior because it's not second nature yet. And it's going to be generally a month to two months before it is second nature. And that's a month to two months of doing it every day. Tailor the work to meet your learning needs. So if you're doing introspective work, self-help work, some people like prose writing, like writing in a diary or a journal. Other people, like me, prefer lists. Um, So don't force yourself to do something that you dread doing every day. 
Some people like free form, again, like writing in a journal or a diary where they can just kind of free associate. Other people prefer worksheets that, you know, complete the sentence, um, answer the question about, which helps prompt them to work on what, whatever they're working on. And some people prefer videos like this versus books. Um, I'm a visual learner, so I would prefer to read any day than watch a video or listen to a lecture. But what is it that works for you? And keep it short. One of the biggest mistakes people make is doing too much. They decide, I am going to make this change, so it is going to dominate my life. Well, that means everything else that's a priority in your life starts falling to the wayside. That can only happen for so long. And it also gets, especially if you're doing depression or anxiety or PTSD work or something like that, it gets exhausting and depressing. So try to keep it to one hour each day, which includes any logging or charting or list making that you do throughout the day. So one hour of your time is not, you know, insurmountable. Work it into your daily routine. If you're trying to do journaling or complete worksheets, Maybe do them while you're drinking your morning coffee or just before bed. Put it, put it on your pillow so you see it and you do it just before bed. Or listen to an audio recording on the way to work or at the gym. I have a lot of people tell me they listen to my podcast while they're walking on the treadmill. Score. If that works for you, awesome. We talked earlier about Socratic questioning. And by using Socratic questioning, you strengthen the memory pathways to trigger using the skills on your, on your own. And... You know, make it more second nature. So when something happens, stop as soon as you notice that you made a mistake and ask yourself, why do you think this happened? Look for vulnerabilities and why the old behavior is more beneficial. Like I told you, in the evenings, if I plan on going to the gym, I usually don't make it out the door if I go home to change. So I know why I didn't make it out the door. I was exhausted and I just didn't have the get up and go to get up and go. Um, so my solution is either to meet somebody at the gym because I feel obligated if I tell someone I'm going to meet them there or to go in the morning. What skills do you have that you think might have been useful in this situation? So if you're trying to be more patient and tolerant and you lost your temper, think about what could I have done differently? What skills do I have that I could have used? Um, and how might it have helped to use those skills if you would have used more effective communication skills and practiced the pause, taken a breath, and approached it from a, a more calm, patient approach? How might that have changed the situation in a positive way? What's the benefit to that? And likewise, what's the downside to getting irritable with people? And how do you think you can help yourself remember to use that skill in the future? Now, when you've got adrenaline coursing through your system, it's hard to remember, take a breath, be patient, but you can do it. So you've got to figure out what's going to help you remember to be patient. Um, <clears throat> I tend to, I have um, my crucifix with me. And when I start to get stressed, I, I reach in and I grab onto that. I usually have it in either on, on a bracelet or in my pocket. Um, and that can help me remember to be patient. But what works for you? So three steps to a breakthrough. Define your goal and make sure each step is rewarding. More rewarding than the old behavior. Develop your change plan, learning from prior experiences. 
So if you've tried to change before, you know what you stumble over. Eliminate those hurdles. And increase and regularly refresh your motivation cognitively. Look at how well you're doing and remind yourself how well you're doing and look at the benefits of your change. Refresh your motivation environmentally. You know, what can you put in your environment that reminds you how well you're doing and where you're, where you're going? And refresh your social motivation. Make sure that you've got a cheering squad. Make sure that you've got um, somebody that knows what you're doing that can um, congratulate you or ask you, you know, how's it going there? Because it'll keep you on task more. They say misery loves company. Well, misery loves company, but company also spurs competition. If you and your friend are both trying to get in shape, then you're probably not going to be the first one to drop out and go, you know, I don't want to go anymore. You're probably going to, if, if Sally's going, then I'm going to go. So regularly look at ways to increase your motivation because those may change as life changes, but it's important to have motivation if you're going to make a change and maintain it. And everything we do, even after we've made a change, when you're in the maintenance phase, everything you do today is motivated by something. So you want to increase your motivation and maintain it. Change requires a certain amount of momentum. So if you're trying to change, examine why prior attempts at change have failed, explore why, and what you can do to address it. Make sure your goals are specific. You know, you can answer the question, I, am, I will be happier as evidenced by, or I will be in better physical shape as evidenced by. Measurable. You know, you can look and either say yes or no, you didn't achieve that. Accurate, you chose the right goal. Realistic, it's something you can, you can actually achieve. You know, I am never going to run a six and a half minute mile again. So if I set that goal, I would be setting myself up for failure. So is your goal realistic? And make it time limited. Make sure that you put an end date on it so you have a goal to achieve, not just, you know, eventually I'd like to. That'll help you stay motivated. As you learn new skills and ways of responding, it's vital to practice them on a daily basis and not expect immediate perfection. You've been doing the old way for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. So something that you learn today, if you remember to do it once this week, that's awesome. That's one more time than you did it last week. If you remember to do it five times next week, you know, Again, that's awesome, but don't expect yourself to be perfect. You're going to forget. You're going to do, fall back on that more comfortable second nature behavior. So it's going to take a while to learn this new stuff, but it's okay. Progress, not perfection. Sometimes motivation and, and compliance can be increased through social support. So get friends if you need to join a support group for whatever you're doing, whether it's depression or anxiety or weight loss or addiction. There are support groups for everything. Put in environmental reminders about your changes. So, you know, put a little sticky note on your bathroom mirror or, you know, for me, I don't carry cash with me because that keeps me from going to vending machines because I tend to do that. Identify and regularly review the benefits of change as well as the drawbacks to the old behavior. So if you're trying to eat healthier or, you know, be less anxious or whatever it is, what are the benefits to all the effort that you're putting into this? And so you can always answer the question, yes, this is worth the effort. 
But also, what are the drawbacks? Why do you not want to go back to that old way? Because that'll increase your motivation doubly. And review and keep track of your progress on a daily basis. Um, you know, if you're talking about feelings like depression, I want to be less depressed, use a Likert scale. So one, you are can't get out of bed, you're so depressed. Five, you're happy as a school kid. Three is, it was a good day. It wasn't great, but it was good. Um, and rank yourself on that five-point scale each day. You know, overall today my mood was... And shoot for a four. A four is a really good score. If you can have a four, you know, five out of every seven days, that's pretty awesome. Don't expect perfection. None of us is deliriously happy every single day. So, but review your progress so you can see small incremental changes. The ability to launch DocSnipes.com and the Happiness Podcast is in large part due to the sponsorship from our sister site, AllCEUs.com providing continuing education and pre-certification training to addiction and mental health counselors around the globe since 2006. If you are a mental health counselor or addictions counselor needing CEUs, or if you want to become an addictions counselor, peer specialist, recovery residence administrator, or certified recovery coach, please visit allceus.com. Unlimited CEUs starting at $59 and specialty certificate tracks starting at $89. Go to allceus.com to learn more.